Evidence and Answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Sukrin. Each week, Pat presents reasons for hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Today, in part two of an interview, Pastor David Cordero speaks with Pat about a recent trip he took to Japan. This trip was given the title of the Japan Martyrs Tour due to the fact that it took the guests along routes that gave each a historical background as to the rich heritage of the Christian faith of the many martyrs of Japan. Pat details that these Christians were tortured, ridiculed, and killed all for their faith in Christ. So let's not delay. Here's Pastor David with part two. Aloha and welcome to the Bible Institute radio broadcast. I'm your host, David Cordero, along with Dr. Patrick Zucaran, and we're here today to share with you something oh so very exciting and significant when it comes to Christianity in Japan. For last week, we talked about our tour that we took to Japan, the Japan Martyrs Tour in Part 1, and we discussed some super exciting topics such as Buddhism over in Japan and Shintoism, along with how Christianity came to Japan. And Dr. Zukaran, for those who are just joining us now, could you give a brief review on how Christianity came to Japan? Yes, David. You know, this past December, we had a great tour when 30 people joined us for our first ever Japan Christian Martyrs Tour, where we followed the steps of the arrival of Christianity to Japan and then the eventual persecution, and we followed the path of the Christian martyrs. You know, today, only about 1% of the Japanese are considered Christian, but unknown to many, even many Japanese, is that Japan has a long Christian history, even older than ours, David. And for a brief review, Christianity first arrived in Japan in 1549 with the great Jesuit missionary Francis Xavier. He's considered one of the greatest Catholic missionaries He arrived there in 1549 on the island of Kyushu, way down south in a port city of Kagoshima. And then he went up north to Yamaguchi and there was his headquarters where he preached the gospel. And in two short years, he left behind over a thousand Christians in Japan. And that's how Christianity came to Japan. Now you said Xavier was the first missionary that came to Japan and... You know, I thought it was a little interesting. Could you share with us Xavier's evaluation of the Japanese religions during that time? You know, I'm going to read uh, brief excerpts from Xavier's letter that he wrote while he was in Japan. And when it came to the religions of Shinto and Buddhism, as we talked about last week, he said this. He said, The Japanese doctrines teach absolutely nothing concerning the creation of the world, of the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, the earth, sea, and the rest and do not believe that they have any origin but themselves. The people were greatly astonished on hearing it said that there is one sole author and common father of all souls by whom they were created. This astonishment was caused by the fact that in their religious traditions there is nowhere any mention of a creator of the universe. And sure enough, David, if you study Shintoism and Buddhism, there is nothing said about the creation and origin of the universe or life. And another interesting thing, he wrote about the Buddhist priests. He stated that Buddhist priests promised people that they will not be condemned to hell for the founders of their sects will deliver them from the flames. Especially the priests, they will intercede for them. But the poor, however, 
since they are unable to pay or support the priests, have no hope of escaping hell. They also state that the women are covered with more sins than even the poor, and the woman can be delivered if they give more money to the priests. The priests go on to say that those who give to the priests will, after their death, receive ten times more in the next life. And Xavier noticed that there are many who entrusted large sums of money to the priests. And this is what he said about the priests as well. He said, One thing I find very amusing, that though they take money from everybody by way of alms, they themselves never give anything to anyone. I omit for the sake of brevity the infinite number of ways they have of getting money given to them. But I cannot help grieving and feeling indignant at all the tribute that people pay to men like these and all the honor in which they hold them. And so that was the evaluation of Xavier on the religion and the spiritual condition of Japan. But what he saw broke his heart and drove him with great zeal to preach the gospel and reach the Japanese people for Christ. Well, Pat, Xavier's observation sounds a lot like the televangelists of today. <laughs> well, hey, back to our Japan Martyrs Tour. How did the Japanese respond to the gospel? Well, the Japanese embraced the gospel. In fact, in just two short years, over a thousand Japanese embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by 1587, it is estimated that there were nearly 200,000 Christians in Japan. You know, samurais were putting away their swords. Lords were becoming Christians. They were burning down in Buddhist and Shinto shrines. It is estimated that nearly 15% of Japan, from the south all the way up to the north, had become Christians. Now, Pat, as we talk about the Japanese martyrs, what were the factors that led up to the persecution of the Japanese Christians? Well, David, Christianity flourished throughout Japan, and there was a leader that arose in Japan named Oda Nobunaga, who became a powerful lord and sought to unite all of Japan, and he almost did until he was assassinated. However, Christianity flourished under Oda Nobunaga. Uh, Nobunaga despised the Buddhist priests, and therefore he allowed the Christians to preach, and Oda even had discussions with the Jesuit priests, but it's not recorded that he embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. But with this freedom, Christianity flourished in Japan. In fact, Father Oganto, the missionary who followed Xavier, wrote in his journal that Japan would be Christianized in 30 years. And the city of Nagasaki became a Jesuit stronghold. In fact, it was called the Vatican of Japan. And it's in the city of Nagasaki that the people of Japan first ate beef and drank wine. Well, Oda Nobunaga nearly conquered and united all of Japan, but was betrayed and assassinated by one of his generals in 1582. And his trusted aide, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, succeeded him. And Hideyoshi managed to conquer Japan in 1584. Now, by 1587, Hideyoshi grew concerned about the growing influence of Christianity and viewed it as a threat to his power. He therefore in 1587, gave an edict outlawing Christianity in Japan. But the edict was largely ineffective and missionaries continued to come into Japan. Now, Hideyoshi was a temperamental ruler and backed off his threats, but three factors caused Hideyoshi to intensify the persecution 
on the Christians. The first one was a Christian lord named Takayama Ukon. He was a Christian samurai who served under Nobunaga and the daimyo of Takatsuki, a province near Osaka. Now he closed down Buddhist temples and Shinto shrines and in eight years, 18,000 of his 25,000 citizens were baptized as believers in Jesus Christ. Well, at Nobunaga's funeral, Takayama refused to light the incense because he did not want to worship other gods. Now, Hideyoshi was obsessed with power and demanded complete allegiance. And so Hideyoshi sought to test Takayama's loyalty and ordered him to give up his faith in Christ. And Takayama refused and was stripped of his title and his lands. A second factor was that Nagasaki was controlled by the Jesuits and Hideyoshi wanted to seize control of the city because of its lucrative trade with the Portuguese. And third, in 1596, the Spanish galleon was blown off course from Manila, heading to Mexico and wrecked in the Bay of Urago. Now, the cargo of gold and silk was taken by the Japanese and the crew was detained. And angered by the treatment, the pilot warned his captors to be careful since the Spanish would colonize Japan as they just had the Philippines. And he also stated that the missionaries were the advance guard. And so those three factors incensed Hideyoshi. And in 1597, he intensified the persecution on the Christians. And in 1597, the first Christian martyrs, the 26 martyrs, died in Nagasaki, Japan. And we'll talk a little bit more about them because there's some terrific stories there. But we'll get back to them a little bit later. But Hideyoshi died in 1598. And following him was the great Battle of Sekigahara, one of the most significant battles in the history of Japan. Over 160,000 soldiers fought in this battle. And the forces of the Tokugawa shogunate defeated the forces loyal to Hideyoshi. And the reign of the Tokugawa shogunate began. Now, in 1610, concerned over the growing Christian movement, Ieyasu Tokugawa, the first Tokugawa shogun, expelled all foreign missionaries from Japan. Then in 1614, Ieyasu outlawed Christian activity in Japan and from among the Japanese people. And the shogun sent his men to villages and cities throughout Japan, and the citizens had to show proof that they were supporters of the Buddhist temple and they'd register with the Buddhist temple. And plaques with a picture of Jesus or Mary, known as the Fumie, were placed on the ground and every villager was required to come and step on the portrait of Jesus or Mary or face the penalty of death. And from this time, thousands of Christians suffered martyrdom for Christ. Crucifixion and burning at the stake was the most popular form of persecution. You know, but the shogun realized just killing these Christians didn't do that much. Christianity continued to grow. But the shogun realized that the most effective weapon stopping the threat and growth of Christianity was apostasy. If he could torture these Christians and force them to apostatize and turn away from Christ, that was more effective and then parade them around. That would be more effective. And so these Christians who turned away from their faith were called Korobi Christians. And 
he tortured many of these Christians till they renounced their faith, and especially priests. Priests who renounced their faith were prized victories and paraded throughout the country to discourage other Christians. And the BBC News and other historians report that the persecution and the torture that came upon the Christians in the 1600s was the most ferocious of any group in the history of the church. And the torture was quite effective. David, you know, they say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's true to a point. Some persecution is good. It cleans, you know, the church out of the deadwood. But too much persecution is a harmful thing. So in 1612, there were 300,000 Christians in Japan. By 1625, there were less than half that number. And in 1644, the last missionary was killed. And from then, the Japanese church had to go underground. And they became known as the Kakure Christians or the Hidden Christians. And after the banning of Christianity, they went underground. So for nearly 200 years, the Christians had to practice their faith in secret. And many without having Bibles or priests or the sacraments, except for maybe baptism, had to practice their faith. And it's during this time that many peculiar practices and beliefs were developed amongst the hidden Christians. And Japan then closed its doors to the world in 1639. And it wasn't until nearly 200 years later that it reopened its doors to the West. And during that 200-year period, it is estimated that nearly a million Japanese Christians gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Pat, you mentioned the first martyrs were the Nagasaki martyrs in 1597. Can you share with us a little bit more about their history? Yeah, David. You know, in 1597, as I mentioned, the shogun Toyotomi Hideyoshi began the persecution of Christians, and it began by arresting 26 Christians in Kyoto. And the group comprised of several foreign Jesuit priests and local Japanese believers. And he chopped off their left ears and paraded them through the streets and the surrounding countryside and made them march from Kyoto way up north all the way down south to Nagasaki 600 miles away in chains. And during the journey, they underwent public torture meant to terrorize other Japanese believers in Christ. And of course, with the hope of some of them renouncing Christ and turning away and being allowed to go back home. But the 26 courageously remained faithful to Christ and singing hymns and reciting psalms all the way down to Nagasaki for 600 miles. And in Nagasaki, and remember Nagasaki then was the stronghold of Christianity was a very calculated move on the shogun's part to have them crucified there in Nagasaki. And so there in Nagasaki, they were all chained and hung on a cross. And their lives were ended when they were stabbed with spears and their bodies were left on display for 80 days. And there's some great stories about these men, but there were also three young boys 12 and 13 years old who would not renounce their faith and endured the torture and died on the cross. You know, there's a famous story of Paul Miki. He was the son of a wealthy military leader. Uh, he entered the church along with his family and served faithfully in the church. 
And he was a powerful witness, you know, as he was being marched through the cities and tortured and marched through the towns. He continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach to the people. And as he hung on the cross, he continued to preach the gospel to the soldiers and to the people who were watching. And then he said, after Christ's example, I forgive my persecutors. I do not hate them. I ask God to have pity on all, and I hope my blood will fall on my fellow man as a fruitful rain. And you know, that's really a significant thing to say, that you would forgive those who tortured and killed you. You know, that goes against the Japanese culture and their values there, to announce that you forgive your enemies. Another great story is a young boy. He was only 13 years old. He was part of that martyrs group of 26. His name was Thomas Kosaki, and he was only 13 years old when his left ear was chopped off and he was paraded. But the night before he died, he wrote a farewell letter to his mother that has been an inspiration to Christians all over the world. It's just a very short letter, and let me read it for you. So before he died, he wrote this from prison. He said, Dear Mother, Dad and I are going to heaven, and there we shall await you. Do not be discouraged, even if all the priests are killed. Bear all sorrow for our Lord, and do not forget you are now on the true road to heaven. You must not put my smaller brothers in pagan families. Educate them yourself. These are the dying wishes of father and son. Uh, goodbye, Mother dear. Goodbye. And those were his final words that he wrote. And so there's some terrific stories about these young men who gave their lives for Christ. Louis Ibaraki was the youngest in the group, only 12 years old when he died. But as he was being marched through the towns, yeah, Father Francis Blanco, one of the 26, wrote of this young little boy. He said, we have little Louis with us, and he is so full of courage and in such high spirits that it astonishes everybody. And so those are some of the inspiring stories of these young men and women, you know, who gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Now, Pat, the report that I received back from a lot of people uh, on this trip was, boy, th those hot springs, they were so neat. And I couldn't believe that Christians actually died in those hot springs. Can you tell us a little bit about those who were martyred? Yeah, David, you know, in the district of Shimabara, way down south, there are natural hot springs with boiling hot water. And it is there. Thousands of Christians were thrown into the hot springs to boil to death. Fathers were ordered to apostatize and turn away from Christ, and they would not. And so these Christians were stripped naked, and hot water was dumped upon them continuously until they were unconscious. Then they were allowed to rest and recover. And when they regained consciousness, more hot water was poured on them. Until finally, if they would not renounce their faith in Christ, they were thrown into the hot springs and boiled to death. And fathers and mothers saw their children thrown into the hot springs and boiled to death before their eyes. And then they were thrown into the hot springs and thousands gave their lives for Christ. But that's just a bit of the kind of torture these Japanese Christians faced. And many would not renounce or turn away from their faith in Christ. Well, hey, so when it comes to this rebellion, as far as the Christians were concerned, you know, the government looked at Christians as rebels. What was perhaps the largest Christian rebellion in Japanese history? Well, David, the largest rebellion in the history of Japan is known as the Christian Rebellion in Shimabara. In Shimabara, there was a large Christian population. And in 1618, 
Shigemasa, the daimyo, the lord of that area, he was known for his cruelty and heavily taxed his peasants and built himself a large, luxurious castle. But in order to do so, he had to heavily tax his people and tax near to starvation. The peasants of Shimabara revolted against the daimyo and took control of Hara Castle. Now, the leader was a young boy named Amakusa Shiro. And only 17 years old, he led 30,000 Christians in this rebellion. And tradition has it that this young boy, Shiro Amakusa, was born on the island of Oyano. And he studied with the Jesuit priests in Nagasaki. And he became a powerful preacher. And his message focused on the Christian values of equality and the dignity of every person. And, you know, that was a threat to the samurai caste system because it taught the equality of all people and people responded to the gospel message. Well, after being heavily taxed and near starvation, the people decided we are going to fight for our freedom, freedom to worship God, but also to die as free people. And even if we die, then we shall be truly free indeed. And so 30,000 Christians, about 10,000 of them were actually you know, men, most of them were peasants. And so they had farm equipment in what they used to fight. And on March 10th of 1638, the shogunate forces gathered at Shimabara. And there, a 100,000 soldiers of the shogun faced off with 30,000 of the Christian rebels. And they fought there in the initial battle at a bridge. Uh, the Christians originally won and drove the shogun soldiers back. And then the shogun called for more reinforcements and even called the greatest samurai warrior in the history of Japan, Miyamoto Musashi, now in his 50s. And Musashi arrived and entered into the battle. And after the siege, running out of food and gunpowder, and the shogun on April 10th, with the help of Dutch warships, bombed the rebels and eventually stormed the castle and killed all, it is estimated they killed 37,000 Christians there. 3,300 heads were sent to Nagasaki. 10,000 heads were placed around the castle. And the shogun arrested Shiro Amakusa's mother and forced her to identify her son's body. And of course she would not. But when they took her around the battlefield and when she came across his body, she broke down in tears seeing how skinny that he had become. And his head was taken to Nagasaki, and the Hara Fortress was destroyed. But that just briefly summarizes the largest uh, rebellion in the history of Japan, known as the Christian Rebellion of Shimabara. Well, these are some exciting stories that we're listening to, and we visited all these various places in Japan. Perhaps next year you're saying, hey, I want to go with you on this tour. I want to learn more about the Christian history in Japan. Well, then come join us. Feel free to send us a line at info at BibleHawaii.org if you want to email us, info at BibleHawaii.org. Stay tuned to our website, www.BibleHawaii.org, and check us out on our website. Or perhaps you're listening today and you say, well, you're talking about heads rolling, hungry Christians. Well, I tell you what, I'm nowhere near facing death as these Christians were, but death is at the forefront of my mind. Well, 
everyone is going to face death one time or another. Many people try to push it out of their minds. If you're listening, be wiser than that today. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But even though all have sinned, that God loves us while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us at our very worst. And if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, take a step of faith today and do so. Let it begin with this prayer. Say something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again. Jesus, enter my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin and give me the hope of heaven. Show me who you are in a real personal way. Go to a Bible-believing church, read your Bible and pray every day. Call us at BibleHawaii.org. This concludes part two of the special interview with Pastor David Cordero and Pat Zucrin as they discuss the recent Japan Martyrs Tour that was just taken this past year. Be sure to tune in weekly as Pat and his guests provide reasons for faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If you enjoy listening to this broadcast, would you please pray for Pat and consider supporting his outreach with a financial gift? You may donate online at evidenceandanswers.org. It is from supporters like you that keep us on the air. We at Evidence and Answers would like to acknowledge our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investment alternatives for more than 20 years. For more information, please go to their website at hcmlp.com. Evidence and Answers is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetics Center and a subsidiary of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Join us next week for more Evidence and Answers. Oh,